0: cliffcentral.com.
1: Anyway, we've got to talk about quite a few things this morning. It is time for the Burning Platform, which is brought to you by Nando's. Every week we get to check in on the most important stories of the day and of the week, and today is no exception. We mentioned earlier that Zwelim Kize has decided to go and hide out in KZN. He's so embarrassed by what's happened. Um, the ANC has said that embattled health minister Zwelim Kize made the right decision by going on special leave. And the president announced that he was placing wow. Mkze on special leave. Pressure had been mounting for him to act, for the minister to step aside in the digital vibes matter. Um Kize himself apologized during a media briefing in Kimberley over multi million Rand communications tender awarded from his department to close associates. I think there is a feeling and I don't want to be I don't want to be too optimistic about the ANC because it's always a dangerous thing to do. I think there's a feeling among the people of South Africa that this corruption stuff is just beyond the pale now and we are not going to take it anymore. I certainly get the impression that they're taking it more seriously than ever because of the Swenemkiza case. And rather than us just go, oh, what a disaster, oh, it's such a mess, oh, I can't believe this, which is obviously our inclination. And you would be right to do that, considering how many times we've been lied to and had you know, thieves with their hands in the till of South Africa. I understand there's huge suspicion around anyone in government. But maybe it's the first sign that there is a different approach being taken to these things. Before, this would have been brushed under the carpet, certainly in the, in the Zuma era. The, he's not getting away with this. This is a very important minister. This is the guy who was heralded for taking us through Corona. This is the guy who was held aloft as a, As a shining example of how important government can be and how effective they can be when battling things as threatening as an international pandemic. Remember, a year ago, Zwilliam Kize was probably one of the most important voices in South Africa. Now, Mm -hmm. embarrassingly, he is on special leave. He's gone back to hide out with his family in KZN. He says he's going to pay the money back. And the ANC is left with egg on their face. So let's take take it for what it is and and appreciate that it might be a move in the right direction. That's all I'm saying.
0: But, but don't you think it's a little too late for mm. apologies or statements of, of this kind? Of course it is. Because f- for me as a citizen, I don't care about an apology like this. I don't care when it was heralded as a massive thing that – our sitting president admitted to corruption, and he mm-hmm. uh, announced that corruption is a big issue. Yeah, I want to know how and why are we getting into these positions,
1: and we want as to, and we want to
0: see and for you as leadership,
1: and we want to see people going to jail now because the one thing that I'm, I'm well, how abs- did it
0: even happen in the first
1: place, Gareth? Yeah.
0: there are certain processes and And procedures for mm-hmm. people to be award attenders and for people to get certain deals in this country,, yeah. how is it that someone who's as powerful as Dr. Zulim Kese is allowed to have his son so closely linked to business? Well, how did we get to that?
1: Unfortunately, point? you see government is made up of people who are career politicians and they are party members first, and then they are citizens much much later down the line. Most of them. Um, are only used to receiving money from the public purse because they they wouldn't earn money in the private sector they are locusts they basically swarm into a, a, a treasury they deplete it of everything that they can and then they fly out again <clears throat> so this is how they operate therefore if they can get money out for a member of their family then they do that as well it's um it's not surprising i i know i know how it happens you know how it happens we mustn't be naive about this the difference is that in South Africa, there seems to be very little cost for people to do that, even when they're caught red-handed. So in this case of Zwenim Kise, because we're going to push this now to the nth degree, we're not just going to send him on special leave and then forget about it. Someone has to pay. And if it's paying back the money, that's all good and well, but there are, this is a crime that's been committed. Someone needs to go to jail. Someone needs to be punished. It's not just a bad business deal where you can pay each other back. You know, if Sia and I have an arrangement where he says he'll loan me 10 grand and I go off and I buy the things I need for 10 grand and I say, I'll pay you back. I don't pay Sia back. Um, I have a, a claim against, uh, he has a claim against me for 10,000 rand. Um, this is not like that. When you steal from the public purse, it's a criminal matter. It's not just a civil claim. Someone has to go to jail. And this is where the, the public uh, prosecutor, the NPA, um, Shamila Batoy, who we've spoken about till we blew in the face. This woman has to pull her finger out of her ass and actually do something now. I'm, I don't know how it's possible for her to hold on to a job for as long as she has where nothing seemingly is happening. It's just beyond a joke. Corona's Boring says, I live because... I live next to uh-huh. Dr. Zulim Kiz's nephew. He was one of the tenderpreneurs building RDP houses with one bag of cement per house. I'd like to know what kind of a house the nephew of Doctor Zuelim Kize lives in. If you would mind telling us, I'd like to know how that house looks. Bet you it's not an RDP. Pretty house.
0: certain it's no, not even close to an RDP house.
1: Mm-hmm. So, if you if you can tell us about that, that would be terrific. Anyway, so that's the big story of the day with re- with uh, respect to um, Zuelim Kise. Uh, There's also a story about the ANC, which we'll get to in a minute, about plans to push through legislation allowing for the expropriation without compensation, which we know has been on the table for a very long time. Um, The EFF have told Parliament that they will not vote for the legislation in its current form. So we'll, (laughs) we'll get into that just now. But I don't want to waste a second without this guy. <clears throat> because he really is the man of the moment and he's the perfect person to talk to this morning. He is Ted Blom. Uh, Ted is well known to our audience because he is a mining and energy advisor. He's also a problem solver and a, an advanced compliance analyst. He claims that ESCOM has been lying to us. Ted, you don't look very impressed with things this morning, much like the rest of South Africa. How are you?
2: Hi, good morning. No, I'm actually very good. I've recovered from cancer, I believe. So I'm fighting for and I'm ready for the game. For the, for the game.
1: What I was referring to, of course, was ESCOM, but congrats, and and we're pleased that you are healthy and fighting fit. I'm delighted to hear it. We need people like you in our lives, and when it comes to energy, you're the guy that we want to hear from. So, uh, Ted, yesterday we had a sudden surprise announcement that Stage 4 had kicked in at about 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, This didn't surprise you, though. You've been watching what ESCOM has been doing very carefully, and you have a, a way of telling whether they're telling the truth or not. They've been lying to us, haven't they? Absolutely. Uh, uh,
2: um, I, I have evidence, which I'm prepared to show to a court of law, uh, um, that Eskom has been under-reporting. Uh, last Wednesday, uh, they were short of over 5,000 megawatts. In other words, level six type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've got it on record. Thank God I saved it. Uh, and uh, they have acknowledged subsequently If you go to the broadband uh, interview that uh, Sikonati did, they've acknowledged having, during the course of last Wednesday, being over 4,000 megawatts short. Um, But there have been new revelations uh, overnight. Uh, And uh, you can now call me Ted Blom Unplugged because now I can talk about what I know and that I've been carrying in my heart secretly for the last three years. Go ahead. And that is that there's been a deliberate effort and strategy and capture of ESCOM to drive it into the ground. Uh, the radio acknowledged last night, uh, and uh, Judge Dennis Davis has showed, uh, that the, uh, the, he thinks that Eskom's coal plants are not fixable and that uh, Eskom must uh, roll out renewables as soon as possible. Now, I was tipped off about this uh, so-called secret strategy um, by some very senior ex-executives of Eskom. And uh, I've been carrying this, and, and in fact, the unions are aware of this as well because this was done in a union executive meeting where I was consulting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is now public knowledge. Is that uh, the the, the um, official strategy of the the, the government is uh, not to fix the coal power stations? In fact, the writer says he's not going to waste more millions on fixing the coal power stations, but that uh, effort must be directed to uh, the renewable and environmental-friendly future of ESCOM.
1: So, Ted, it sounds like a bit of a conspiracy theory because the minute you start talking about this wanton destruction of the electricity supply, um, that that becomes a very different conversation to just incompetence. And we've dealt with incompetence over the years. We've also dealt with the hollowing out of ESCOM. There's very little in terms of actual engineering know-how there. Maintenance has gone for a ball of shit. But what you're saying is they're actually actively trying to destroy – what we already have, which is, I mean, that's a very different kettle of fish, and forcing us into the renewable path, will renewable energy be able to supply even close to what the coal-fired power stations used to at their, at their prime?
2: Okay, so it's very simple.
1: Uh, I don't know where you're sitting this
2: morning, but as far as I can see, the sun's not yet up. Yeah. And I don't know if it's going to be strong today. Well, yesterday, it didn't come up through at all. Yeah. Uh, the fact of the matter is this economy needs at least uh, 32,000 megawatts of power, uh, and uh, renewables are not dispatchable. What does that mean? They're not predictable. Mm-hmm. You can't switch order renewables and say, yeah. well, I want power at 8 o'clock because I'm going to bake bread, or I'm going to run my smelter, or I want a new shift to go underground. Uh, to do that, you if you're going to go the renewable route, you need lots and lots and lots of storage uh, because uh, the, the weather could be like this for five days. And, and like you, you either choose to switch off your economy or you invest heavily in storage worldwide. There is no utility-scale storage available. Right. That's what Eskom is trying to do uh, with their new battery strategy is an experiment. We are the guinea pigs worldwide uh, for this stuff. And anyway, Eskom doesn't have the, t- the know-how, the technical know-how uh, to, to, to build batteries. I mean, uh, I've never come across an Eskom battery anywhere in my no. 60-odd years of life. Uh, so uh, the bottom line is that uh, it, it's a very irresponsible situation uh, to abandon uh, the, the, uh, coal assets, uh, because it's either cold or nuclear. Those are the only two yeah. dispatchable. And, uh, and, and uh, and we've yes, dis- people say hydro, but we're, we're a water-scarce country, so you can't yeah. rely on Sweden and Finland and the Scandinavian countries sure. can rely on hydro because they've got mountains and but, mountains but, of but ice. But,
1: Ted, even in, even in the most advanced and developed economies, the, the idea that these uh, sustainable resources will be able to power up the entire economy, it's just it has not been true. It will not be true for some time. And as you rightly point out, the biggest problem there is storage. No one has developed batteries that can adequately store and release on demand the the required amount of output of energy. So we, as you rightly say, are stuck with two options, either nuclear or coal. In this country, we have abundant coal. We used to have very good quality coal until the Guptas started getting shit quality coal into all of our, our power stations. But the other problem is that this is pie in the sky. Now, who would be behind such a stupid idea? Who would be the one who makes a decision? Okay, guys. Let's do what you're saying is true here. I'm going to take your word for it, Ted. Let's actually sabotage our own system in order to experiment with renewables or to force the South African public to be the guinea pigs in this experiment. Who would be behind that? And who would be financing that or who would be promising some kind of deliverable at the end of the day? Because it seems to me that does sound a little bit like, you know, the Illuminati are coming out of the woodwork to try and force us into this situation. Who would be making these decisions?
2: Okay, so I may just correct you. Uh, Eskom has been, uh, since 2001, been buying spot coal as part of their BE strategy. Right. And uh, so the quality of coal, uh, because Eskom wasn't uh, geared to uh, su- su- survey the coal that they're buying in uh, by the truckload, uh, and uh, there's more than 1,500 trucks a day going to Majuba Power Station, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, and, and delivering. So these samples, are these uh, loads are just dumped all over. They're not sampled. Right. Uh, nobody does. Quality control, etc. That's been going on since 2001 and really got to speed in 2006 when I went back to Eskimo and I saw what was going on. So it's not new, it's not just the Guptas. The okay. Guptas maybe perfected it, uh, but and in fact, it was further perfected by the Rater last week when he signed the new Duva coal contract and he doubled the price of uh, the coal from 198 Rand to 550 Rand uh, on what is a corrupt deal uh, because the investors in Surrecti Mining is uh, chancell- uh, not. Chancellor, sorry, Butter Butter Trust and Tebe Investments, both investment arms of the ANC. Uh, so now you've got the ANC supplying expensive coal to Eskom uh, and lots of it, 8 million tons a year minimum. Uh, so that's been going on right under our noses, signed off by the regulator with a big smile. Uh, now you asked who's behind the other strategy. Well, I was told. And I believe it fully that it's the cabal that's ruling the ANC uh, or one of the sectors of the ANC or factors or factions or whatever, who are heavily invested in renewables as we speak via their brothers-in-law and and family. And and, and they are totally geared up. And if you listen to some of the so-called analysts who are pro-renewable, they reckon that uh, that these guys are so geared up that they can salvage uh, the loss of coal uh, within within
1: 24 months. Ted, so this is a
2: game plan that's been rolling out behind our backs.
1: Ted, many of us have been under the impression. I'm going to bring Pumi Mashicho into this as well. Pumi's uh, with us on the on the burning platform this morning. I know we've only got you for about 20 more minutes, but Ted, it did feel like we were heading in the right direction when Andre Dereto was appointed because it seemed like he was forcing municipalities who hadn't paid to pay. Um, it seemed like he was starting to to bring some. Uh, some smart people in there who could make sure that things were working again. Uh, he was taking a very hard look at at maintenance of the of the power stations clearly what what you 're telling me this morning is that this guy is part of the problem he 's got no solutions.
2: Well, that's why I call myself Unplugged. I can now speak out because he's gone on record last night. Okay. So he's now admitted that he hasn't done the uh, refurbishment uh, and overall type of maintenance that uh, they were boasting they were going to do 18 months ago. And, in fact, he's just continued with the cut-and-paste type of maintenance. And that's why the same units... There are only 12 power stations in Mpumalanga. Uh, and the same, uh, uh, despite his categorical assurances prior to last night, that he's done uh, overalls. I mean, uh, Gareth, just, 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 just apply your mind. I don't know if you've ever been inside a power station we're talking about hundreds of tons of machinery sure uh, and uh, that takes a long time to 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 build eight years or whatever and, and if you're going to overall them you need to take out all the wearing parts and, and get them remanufactured. if you do a car overall you take out the you only use the engine block that's basically Correct. what stays behind okay now if you're going to do the same thing for a power station uh, you basically you're going to use the engine block and the rest you're going to uh, refurbish or replace Uh, If you do that uh, at Eskom, they've got 80-odd generating units, 84, 83-odd generating units. For anybody to tell you that they're going to take 84 engines, even those car engines, apart in 18 months, Uh, reorder all the parts that need to be uh, replaced and put the thing together again in 100% working condition in 18 months, you've got to understand that that person must be smoking something or he hasn't got a clue of what he's talking about. (laughs) On top of that, I did the calculation that it will take at least five years and 600 billion rand because these things have to be imported from overseas. If you want new turbines or, or, or blades or whatever it is, These things were manufactured. South Africa no longer has the capacity to do any of the manufacturing of of these things. You have to order them from overseas. These are big units. You need to ship them here. You can't fly them here. Uh, You need to get into a queue, an engineering queue overseas with your, your order. You need to pay up front. Uh, and and if you've just uh, paid 80 odd billion, which are, are, I think it's another uh, lie by Eskom that they've all paid off 80 billion rands with the debt. But if you have paid off 80 billion of your cash flow to debt, where are you going to get the money to pay for the refurbishment of the stuff? And then no. the rate that came clean last night is that he hasn't done the, the refurbishment uh, that he promised us and which we were breath, uh, holding our breath for. And, and our hopes uh, on that. He hasn't done that, and, and he's now abandoning the coal fleet. So, this puts us between a rock and a hard place because what they're saying now is get used to the load shedding or get off the grid. Uh, And Eskom's been telling you secretly to get off the grid every time they say use electricity with the uh, screen messages and and the the public pronouncements. So, okay. So uh, we we had a very uh, strong turning point here now.
1: I want to give Pumi a turn here. We were talking earlier about how much um, power Eskom supplies to the rest of Africa and all that. And we're not sure what the details of that are. I know that you would be able to help us. But Pums, do you want to put your question to Ted before we get into that? Um, We can't hear you, Pumi. You need to go off mute. There we
3: go. Oh, sorry, guys. No
1: problem.
3: A year uh, later, I'm still muting my mic. But, Ted, you know, I, I think uh, about a year and a half ago, Musima Voso from BLSA, when when she was initially appointed um, as one of the, the was it? at the board members at ESCAP, when she came out and said, we have to be honest with the public. We have to tell the public that for the next five or six years, we're going to be under pressure because this is how long it's going to take to fix the problem. Everybody went up in arms. They vilified her. They hated her for making that statement. Mm. Is that what we need to be hearing from ESCO? The truth about how long it will take, how much... And what we need to do to to deal with it. I mean, we can deal with it as long as we know if we told the truth. As long as truth. we know, Is that right? The truth. And was busi right or wrong to tell us that?
2: Okay, so uh, having verified, I, I, I know the feeling. I've been verified for twelve years for talking uh, talking the facts as I understand them, uh, and, and yes, I've just said so. Uh, to do a proper refurbishment job at Eskom, and to pick up on the rear maintenance, or well, if you do the refurbishment, you don't have def- the maintenance load will, will decline. Uh, it's a five-year job, minimum, 600 billion rand, minimum. Uh, and uh, uh, let's just get some facts on the table. Uh, the SAU and Bowman's both have indicated that the corruption that ESCOM that they're aware of, and they haven't got to the uh Kusili uh, 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 core supplier corruption, uh, which started off on day one with 4 billion rand in the red. Uh, but they've picked up corruption of 178-plus billion rand. Mm. Eskom's debt is 400 billion rand. I've said for the last five years, sort out the corruption, get the money back, and you can at least half the debt. And everybody says, well, 200 billion, Eskimo can more or less afford to service and pay down the debt. At 480 billion, that's a, a nearly an impossible job. So I don't know what the problem is. If If everybody understands that half of the debt has been funding corruption, And and a lot of it is the big players. I'm talking about uh, the the Haidashis, the Alstoms, the guys who were given uh, the core contracts uh, to build Madupi and Kusili uh, um, and and who were swapped around by Brian Darmus as part of the corrupt dealings that he was part of, uh, which also hasn't come out. Uh, then um, if we can recover that uh, or either write it off, we say, listen here, guys, you stole uh, or you, the banks, you funded this corruption. Take, take the knock. Take it on the chin. We're right. not going to pay this this uh, corrupt money. Uh, we need some decisive action. And, but and if you're in collusion and, of course, and hiding and lying, we're not going to go anywhere.
1: no one's gone to jail, hey? as far as I can tell. You're right. No one. We, if we put Brian Dahmers in jail or if we put – or any of the, of the ESCOM CEOs that have clearly got their hands in the till over the last couple of years, if we put any of them in jail, you better believe that would send a shockwave through the system. But, of course, they're not going to jail because the politicians are protecting them. And the politicians are eating out of the trough. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, one of the things that you raise, uh, Ted, and, and it, we never talk about this is all this corruption and all this money, all this money-making the rounds, there are banks in the center of it. And even the banks are being held accountable. You know, nobody's saying, okay, but have you, Gareth, have you ever tried to withdraw 10,000 rand from your bank account? Do you know how many people you have to talk to? Yeah. And, how, and the queue you have to stand in. And then, like, people can... Transferred two hundred and fifty-six million mm-hmm. from one account to another, and, and nobody can trace it back. Nobody can be like, hey, how does this happen? I think the collusion that happens is far bigger than just the government. It's not um, just the government. It's it's private sector. When you talk about Alstom, I mean Alstom is a multinational company. Yes, it's you know the no, little South uh, African what- we're fucked.
2: That's why I think, and I mean, I've had noises from Zondo that they want me there, and then uh, it seems to me they don't want me there. But the, the the whole collusion started with the mandate and the and the date of commissioning of the Zondo Commission. You know, put yourself, just sit back and use some of some of the stuff that uh, God gave you. Uh, if, if you're going to run a commission of inquiry. Surely, your starting point is, when last did this organization run well or properly? And it's got to be 2001 when Eskom won the Utility of the World Award or Global Award in New York City uh, as the cheapest and uh, most reliable and affordable energy in the world. They had a 95% energy availability. Last week, it was below 50%. Surely, that's where you start. And not to, to tell Judge Zondu how to run, run, run make tea and, 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 and cake, but surely you start interviewing the CEOs from then on, the CFOs from then on, mm. and you follow the trail, and you try and see where did this thing fall off the rails. Right. You don't start in the middle because of the Guptas have been made a lot of noise. Believe you me, the Guptas, as I said right up front, uh, they maybe perfected some of the stealing, but they didn't originate the stealing. The stealing yeah. has been going on for far, far longer than that, and involves large companies. I've got evidence of BHP bulletin being involved in some of the fraud and corruption of this stuff.
1: So, Ted, um, because we, we don't want this to just be a place where we uh, spill the tea, as, as Gen X said just now, because that's certainly what you're doing this morning, but we also want to look for uh, a way out of this and a solution. And what is your advice to people? I mean, you said earlier, we've got to either get off the grid or we've got to, I don't know, move to a country that actually doesn't have uh, as much uh, corruption when it comes to power utilities than we do what are the what are the options for ordinary South Africans or what can we look forward to or what can we prepare ourselves for as Pumi uh, pointed out earlier we'd prefer to know what we're in for here
2: Okay, so I believe that the mechanical side of the coal business is fixable. I understand that the cost of coal uh, generation goes up over time because sure. the mining costs go up over time. Yes. Uh, but in, uh, that, to do that, uh, as I said, it, it's, it's, it's going to have to take a, a bit of time and a lot of money. Uh, in the immediate crisis situation that you are now facing, and I think it's going to be exacerbated over the next 12 months uh, until – uh, uh, re- rational thinking comes back to the table, is people need to sit down with their families and categorize what their needs are and say, this is critical stuff. I'm going to have to make a plan, because come hell or high water, I cannot afford to not have these functions running in my house. And one of them might be uh, your alarm system, another might be your fridge system, another will be your lights, especially if you've got kids, you've got to study for school, et etc. et cetera, uh, and, and say, okay, these are the core issues. The How do I solve this? How do I solve this? Do it in small bites so that you can afford to do it over a couple of months or get a loan or do something. But uh, to, 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 to just sit and, and roll me every day, it, it's not good for the national psyche. Absolutely. It doesn't to really be good for your household psyche either. So you need to say, well, come hell or high water. I don't care what they do to me, but at least I know that I've got a system I mean, I've just bought myself a gas a uh, little stove, camping stove. Why? Mm. Because I get irritated. My wife gets very irritated. If she comes home from work and she can't have a cup of tea, yeah. uh, that's her way of saying, well, I'm switching off from my office duties, and I'm now going to be a mother and a, and a, and a wife. Mm. Uh, then when it comes to supper time. You know, you can't eat out every night. You can't go to the pizzeria every night and no. buy pizzas. You'll, go, you'll, you know, you'll get sick. So you might need to buy yourself a primer stove or something yeah. like that, or a gas stove. Uh, But you 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 can't sit and wait for Eskom to do this for you. Uh, You need to take control of your own life and say, I'm going to be immune from Eskom. And Ted,
1: Ted, that doesn't mean you have to have an, an overall solution and get off the grid completely. That's very expensive. And for many of us, it's probably out of our reach to be able to spend that kind of money. Many people have done it, and they, I'm sure are very grateful that they've done it. Um, and also they're paying less money over to corruption um, because otherwise you're complicit. If you're giving these people money, you're actually complicit in the corruption. You're funding the corruption, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think these are useful, practical solutions that each and every one of us can start taking up, buying a primus stove and a gas bottle and all that kind of thing. I mean, we we've discussed gas as an option on this show many times. But there are also things that... I, I I don't know that we can totally make ourselves immune from this stuff. You know, there, there's always going to well, be Well, you it. can't
2: because your, your job probably requires if you... I mean, South Africa is the bastion of beneficiation of minerals. Yeah. So you can't mine without industrial-grade power. You can't smelt with industrial-grade power. Mm. So, yes, uh, you won't be immune, and you can't get to work uh, without robots working, so you can't make yourself immune, Mm. but at least make yourself a safe haven where you say, well, come here, I walk at the basic functions. I can look after my children, I can give them a hot plate to Pop or soup or whatever it is at night time, and, and I, I don't have to go and shop every day like we used to do 50, 60 years ago because we didn't have fridges. At yeah. least I can keep my fridge of, of sorts going. And in terms of the cost of getting uh, off the grid, if you do it in a mod- modular fax- uh, fashion, and you don't I get, love that. And you don't I get love that idea, you can, most people can probably do a hell of a good job for under 100,000 Rand. Uh, and so if you're getting quotes that are higher than that, come to me. I'll point you to people okay. that I'm prepared to put my name on who will get you off the grid in a, in a sensible fashion and an affordable fashion.
1: Okay. Thanks The for that.
3: modular approach really is, is something that you can do, right? Because you you just do it every two, three months or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And within a year. And you'll be saving you money. If you get off the grid, you'll be saving money.
2: <laughs> it's like when you said. You don't go and eat all the pills in the chemist. You take what you need and you start off with that. <laughs> and if, if, if that doesn't sort you out, you go and you take a little bit of antibiotics or you incrementally increase. You don't go to the chemist and swallow every pill that's in the chemist. <laughs> mm.
3: so, so, Cyril has a really interesting question, and I wonder if you have any information about this, Ted. Can we deduct these purchases from our taxes? You know, like you know, when my kid goes to a, a remedial school and you can deduct part of what this – the school fees is from our taxes can you do that with this
2: well as things stand at the moment unless if you're running a business from home uh, you won't be able to deduct it from, from taxes. I mean, in other countries like in America, you can deduct your mortgage payments uh, from tax, which I think is the right thing, because then it encourages you to invest in, in, in bricks and mortar. Unfortunately, our tax system is a little bit archaic. So it's, uh, unless you're running a business from home and you're then, of course, declaring your income from home, uh, then then you can, of, of course, deduct it from from, from tax. But uh, in fact, if, if, if Mr. Moody... Which we now
3: are. We're working from home. Exactly.
2: So, Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I mean, uh, I haven't spoken to uh, tax people, although I've I've got very close relationships with them, and I'll ask them and maybe come back to you and give you the feedback. But I certainly think uh, the problem is if you're a -er, pay-as-you-go taxpayer, then uh, it's very difficult to deduct extra things from from tax. But if you're an entrepreneur running your own business, of course you can
1: deduct it. There's no doubt about it. Uh, um, Ted, one last thing, because uh, I, know, I know you've got to go shortly. We, we were talking about how we supply, or we used to supply, certainly, um, electricity to the rest of Africa. Certainly, countries like Zimbabwe have relied very heavily on us. Are we still doing that? And is ESCOM still responsible for powering much of sub-Saharan Africa, even though we have consistent shortages?
2: Yes, uh, we still supplying in Botswana. Uh, okay. We're still supplying in Namibia. Uh, and certainly, uh, Z- uh, Zimbabwe and even Zambia. But all these countries are making uh, uh, urgent plans to get off the South African grid because they are also vulnerable to the uh, irregular supply of, of power. And and, uh, and they don't they get as short notice as you and I get that uh, the load shedding is being implemented. You see, if you're running a potline, uh, if you don't have power for more than an hour and you're running a potline, let's say you're making ingots of uh, aluminium or, or platinum or, or Mm -hmm. metal or whatever you do. If that pot line freezes, what does it mean? It means you switch off the the, the, the cathode and the anode and it gets cold and it solidifies. It takes you six months or longer to chip that stuff out of that pot line. Uh, it's a disaster so you're out of production for at least six months and then uh, you the people that you're using to do the chipping uh, they're not technical experts so they chip and they damage the insulation and then you have to reline the pot line i asked ask, ask the smelting people what have, havoc it causes when you lose power uh, and you haven't drained those pots so you need at least an hour or two Uh, to drain the pots uh, so that they're empty uh, when the power goes off otherwise they freeze and then you've got a calamity you'll be out of business there's no doubt about
1: it wow i mean that's uh, and we know that aluminium smelting for example is is hugely energy intensive i mean if we switch off our aluminium smelters suddenly there's a huge amount of electricity that's allowed back into the into the system we have how many of those we have one in richards bay as far as i know
2: and one at Moza, even a bigger okay. one. Okay. Uh, so the two at Richards Bay, Hillside and Bayside. In fact, they were part of my portfolio when I was in the mining game at uh, Genco. Right. And then after I left, they built Mozart because they thought it was such a good investment. And uh, unfortunately, BHP, uh, uh, who uh, still owns those, has realized that the power situation is not where it is. And uh, they've actually cut back on some of those potlines. They're not running at full production as far as I know.
1: Ted, it's always good to talk to you. Thank you very much for being on the Burning Platform this morning. We hope to see you again soon. And once more, congratulations on beating cancer. If you if you could do that, you might even be able to beat ESCOM. We're on your side. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll be very blessed. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ted. Thank you. What, what a terrific guy. And the, the work he's doing is really just unbelievably – talk about citizen activism. And remember, the part that Ted doesn't talk about is how – how much nonsense he has to put up with to bring this information to us, of course, and um, you know, how many people don't want him to speak openly like he is. Um, and I think that it's really, it's, it's extremely praiseworthy that there are good people in society who are fighting the good fight for us. So again, Ted Blom, always good to hear from you. So Pumi, uh, there are other things we need to talk about besides power. Are you ready to get into those?
3: Absolutely.
1: So apparently, besides
3: power. Yeah,
1: but, well, I mean, the
3: power, the power
1: situation, you need power to do anything. It's all or nothing, right? Um, <laughs> so apparently, plans to push through expropriation without compensation have suffered a bit of a setback this week. Not surprisingly, the EFF have said they will not vote for the legislation in its current form. They support expropriation without compensation, but they believe the proposed laws don't go far enough. And this is where coalitions break down. Some people will say, actually, you shouldn't have expropriation without compensation. That is the, uh, the biggest problem in trying to make sure property rights are protected, which is the basis of the economy. And then there are other people who say, no, no, this doesn't go far enough. In this case, the EFF, yes. who, who want more than just expropriation with compensation. I don't know what they want. Do they want it with uh, violence? I mean, what are we, what are we asking for? You, here? Know, you know,
3: Gareth, the EFF, if we understand... That the EFF's really only reason for being alive is the fact that they are there to pull the ANC further to the left. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what they're there for. So everything that they ever push for, everything they ever push for is stuff that is taking the ANC further and further to the left. And, and when you, when you think about the kind of noise that they make, that's what the noise is meant
1: to do. Mm-hmm. So
3: the derailment now of the, it's not going far enough. God, I think I've like, Last year. No, no,
1: no, no, you're still there. We can still there st- there. yeah, we can oh, okay, still cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, it
3: is driving me berserk. I've been on the phone <sighs> twenty minutes with Celsey and ah, oh, it's such driving me crazy. But that's what that's what it is. You know, so they push and push and push and now it's on the agenda. Expropriation is on the agenda. You know, we've got to look at section twenty five. They pushed and pushed and pushed push. right, but- and now here we are are they- now that it's on the agenda, now that it's being debated in Parliament. Actually, no, it doesn't go far enough. It doesn't go far yeah, enough. Yeah,
1: yeah. so it mean, has to push further. But, but of course, the, all, a, all that will do is, is that will just says. kick the can down the road. So in some ways, we should be grateful that the EFF are so stupid that they don't see that this is going to hamstring the process because that's exactly what it's going to do.
3: Well, and I think more and more, this is my favorite drum to beat, more and more, all the people of South Africa should participate more. You know, when, when they are, when they are public Mm participating patients, when they are hearings, when you have to make submissions, we should be there. We should not be allowing ourselves for the 44 people that are mm-hmm. the EFF representatives in parliament yes. to be the ones that can <laughs> stall or move forward. 44 people, guys, that is who is holding all of us ransom. You know, the ANC and they are 300 odd people. But but this is where it is. 44 people in parliament can stall a legislation in this manner, you know, and this is why we all have to participate, We have to be
1: there. I I wanted your opinion before we wrap up the burning platform this morning on Twitter being banned from Nigeria by uh, Mohamedou Buhari, the the president of Nigeria, because of a tweet that he put out, which, again, is against these very arbitrary and capricious community guidelines and rules that Twitter say that they have. Um, According to Donald Trump, um, not surprisingly, he says, well done to the country of Nigeria, who just... just, (laughs) They just banned Twitter uh, because they banned their president. He said he should have banned Facebook while he was still in office, but the company's boss kept calling me and coming to the White House for dinner, telling me how great I was. Mr. Trump. Well, then you're an idiot, Donald. If if it took that little to convince you not to go after bad people, then you know he saw his customer. Maybe Mark Zuckerberg is cleverer than I've I've given him credit for. He can he can spot an idiot. Um. So I'm again. This is, this is a bad thing for Donald, not necessarily bad for Mark. If Mark could convince him that easily, just go for dinner and say how great I am. Um, but I do think it's interesting. Like, do you think South Africa, this is a conversation that I had with, with Sia on Monday, I think it was, think South Africa would be better off or worse off if we banned Twitter? Oh,
3: I, you see, the, the problem with bannings. The problem with bannings is it's a slippery road. It's very slippery. So you ban Twitter and people can't use that platform. Why don't we ban IOL? We don't like what they're mm-hmm. saying. in Iqbal Subay. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you start, it's yeah. a slippery
1: road. And do we want to and, give, and I think, do we want to give government that kind of control? Right.
3: <laughs> we definitely don't want to give government that kind of control. They've already yeah. cocked up everything else they have yes. on their plate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, The thing about what's happening in Nigeria is Nigeria is also a series of dictators, you know, coming on board. And the whole of Africa is regressing, actually, Mm -hmm. when you think about it. You know, we're all just going backwards, not just South Africa, but the whole of Africa, where more and more power is going to the governments and more and more like...
1: That's a, very, that's a very, very and sad and depressing reality. But I, I think if we don't acknowledge it, then we're only fooling ourselves. And you know the the idea that that we might have reached our peak when Tabombeki and Olesogan Obasanjo were trying to build up some kind of credibility in an African Renaissance. And if that was the zenith of what we can achieve as a continent, I'm very concerned because, as you rightly say, we have been slipping backwards. And and I mentioned this morning there will all these stories about. You know children being kidnapped and villages being torched, and seven thousand people in Burkina Faso yesterday who had to go and seek refuge in a in a, another part of the country because they were just essentially at the at the tip of a sword or at the at the barrel of a gun forced out of their village um, seven thousand people to move seven thousand people that 's no messing around these 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 Islamist militant groups are doing their best to hold us all. Uh, at ransom. And and I just want to refer to one other story before we go, because I know that the burning platform is something you come to for, you know, all the current affairs. What do you think of the proposed firearms legislation? Now, I don't know whether you're a gun owner or not. I don't know whether you care about this particularly. But we have Becky Tele, who, again, is not a credible human being. He's, he's a joke. He, he makes himself, with every occasion he's ever given, to open his mouth, he makes himself more of a mockery of a a sensible, serious person. Um, He wants to remove the right of South Africans to defend themselves with a weapon because he says that's the police's job. But we know already in a country like this, the police can't do that job. Furthermore, we know that women in this country are the victims of All kinds of violence and crime and perhaps the only solution I've seen that's practical and sensible is the one that women might be able to arm themselves so at least the attacker wouldn't know and he'd be less likely to strike. What do you feel about this? I mean, is it likely that this legislation will even be passed or is it just pie in the sky and does it does it show us again how government is trying to shut down all the avenues of escape and essentially make us hostages?
3: So the good news is that the the ineptitude of the government means it will take a long time
1: before
3: they can pass, before they can get to the stage of even talking to everybody, consulting, getting, it'll take a long time before we get there. But I think what we are seeing is we're seeing a center not holding (laughs) At the ANC, like they're ricocheting mm. from issue to issue, and everybody's doing it their own thing. And this is, you know, I, I wanted to say, there was a sense of things saying participating in politics. But we're busy doing other things. It's just not realistic. But this is, this is the problem with us not participating, even if it is for 10 minutes a day, looking at what's on the parliamentary website to see what bills are sitting in front of parliament, to see, to, right to show up when they, because that's what they do the consultations happen all over the country when there are consultations they are well uh publicized where they are where you go you know your civic center because if we don't take an interest in politics who was it that said it i mean this is not news right politics will always take an interest in you yeah. here we are today with the mm-hmm. Eskom issue because it was a political issue it was a political issue and we, we didn't pay attention to it. Now we are stuck with having every two hours rolling blackouts throughout the country yeah. and our entire economy coming to a grinding halt. So it's not enough to just say, oh, well, I'm busy doing other things. You're not going to have those other things to be busy with. If we don't take care of that stuff, too.
1: Well, here's Rob Hutchinson, who we've had on the burning platform before. And I've actually been on his site to sign this petition. But with regards to the Firearms Control Act, um, people must sign the petitions. Make sure to also submit an official comment as Parliament discards signatures on a uh, a petition. We have an official participation platform on DRSA. So go along there. In fact, Rob, thank you for that. Um, I'm glad you're listening to the show this morning because I was going to mention that I went on your site the other day and I signed and I left a comment. (coughs) And I hope that all of these comments will go to Parliament. And we do have to. Rob Hutchinson is an example of the kind of of citizen action that you're talking about, Pumi. Um, Dogozo says, uh, just, you know. We are
3: non-profits. They are lobbyists. They are lobby groups. You can volunteer your time if you want to volunteer your time. You know, there are many, many things. Just find the things that that resonate with you and resonate with what you believe in and and find those groups. There are lobby groups for everything.
1: Ted used the word modular this morning, so be modular about your political um, influence. Okay, that's also a good point. I just want to go back to Ndokozo because he said something interesting about Twitter. He says there's no need to ban Twitter. You could just ban yourself from Twitter and live a happier life, precisely. You don't have to pay attention to that stuff. You really don't. So, all right, on that yeah, note. Like who still
3: buys the stock?
1: <laughs> no, exactly. Come on. Um, I I don't take anything that goes on, on, on Twitter seriously anymore. So, guys, thanks very much for this morning. Pumi, we're going to wrap it up on this note. And we will get uh, going tomorrow morning at six AM, bright and early. If you've got any suggestions of people that you'd like to have on the show, anything that you'd like us to discuss on the burning platform, please let us know by email, Gareth at cliffcentral.com. It comes straight to me, and I always reply. So I'd love to hear from you. And uh, Pums, We will see you next Thursday.
3: Next Thursday.
1: See you next bye Thursday. Wait, that's if you if you if you take that as an uh, alliterative, um, alliterative. <laughs> what do they call it? A. Uh, uh, an acronym. We're in big trouble. See you next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is it for the Burning Shout. Platform. All right. The Burning Platform is brought to you by Nando's. And um, we're always very, very excited when Nando's is part of anything because we know it's cutting edge. It's the best. It's un- uncomplicated. It's fearless. It's uh, unapologetic. And that's precisely what we try to do here every week. This is no exception.